0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Christ. Christ. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray. Lord God, would you reveal yourself to us this morning that we might fear you as we were made to fear you and so honor and glorify your name? Amen. Please be seated. So I wonder what you think of when you hear the word fear. I think of snakes. Silent, slithering, ready to strike. I hate snakes. I've never been bitten, but I've had a number of close encounters, mostly because I'm colorblind and I never, ever see them until I'm right on top of them. Perhaps the word fear makes you think of something similar, something you're scared of, or a memory of a near miss that still causes your heart to pound when you replay the moment. Perhaps fear makes you think of your kids and all the uncertainties of parenting in a dangerous world. Or perhaps mention of the word fear makes you conscious of all those latent anxieties that you've pushed beneath the surface this morning, so desperate to keep in check. The word alone, fear, is powerful. Because it taps into something common to every human being and present in every single life. But even though we all know what it is, we still find it difficult to understand. It's an emotion, but it's also a state of being. It's closely related to anxiety, but it's not really the same thing. We don't like to talk about it because there's an element of shame in it. So we try to hide it. Fear has a strong neurobiological component to it as well. When you're seized by fear, your amygdala, a small organ in the middle of your brain, it kicks into action, causing your body to release stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, raising your blood pressure, and actually pushing blood from your heart into your extremities so that you can fight or flee. When this happens, your cerebral cortex, that part of your brain that engages in rational thought and logical deduction, it actually begins to shut down. That's why we struggle to think clearly when we're scared and probably why we struggle to think clearly about fear itself. But you know, fear can also be a source of pleasure. Your body releases dopamine when you're scared. Which leaves a sense of excitement lingering in your body long after the fear itself has passed. And that's why some folks love roller coasters and horror movies. I do not understand you, but I know you do. (laughs) Fear is complicated. But it's an important part of our lives. And I'm convinced that it is a more important part of our lives than we realize. And That's why we're kicking off a new series of sermons this morning with the intentionally provocative title, Living in Fear. Over the next five weeks we're going to take a careful look at ourselves and the world we live in, paying attention to the power of fear in shaping our lives. At the same time we're going to immerse ourselves in Scripture as we seek to understand the true nature of fear. As we do, we're going to discover that the Bible understands fear both positively and negatively. There are certain types of fear that lead us astray and that cause us grief. At the same time, there is a fear that we are given as a gift and encouraged to cultivate, and that is the fear of the Lord. Now, this series of sermons is going to feel a little different from normal. It's going to be more thematic and less focused on a single text each week. We're gonna jump around in our Bibles more than usual and we're gonna bump up against our limited ability to understand God and ourselves. So each week, I expect you will leave not with a sense of satisfaction that the topic has been fully explained, but with a sense of expectation and even a bit of frustration, like, ah, he's just scratched the surface. I've got more questions than answers. I do hope, however, that after five weeks of meditating on fear together, that each one of us will find ourselves understanding the nature of fear more profoundly and hungering for the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. So let's get started. Fear makes its first appearance in the Bible in Genesis 3. So on page 2, you can take a look if you like. In Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are created in the image of God and given a home in the Garden of Eden where they have access to every good thing under the sun. Only one thing is off limits to them. And that's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now despite God's warning, in chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat that fruit and they fall from grace. In that that moment, human life changes forever. And here's how Genesis describes what happens next. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Naked and afraid. It is not just the name of a reality TV show. This is the human condition after the fall. We inhabit a world that has become dangerous to us in which we are exposed and vulnerable. In this world reshaped by our rebellion against God, it is second nature for us to live in fear, hiding from God and protecting ourselves as best we can. I think of this as naked fear. And this is a phrase that I use throughout this series. Naked fear is what we experience as a consequence of being human in a fallen world. It is the normal response of a creature to reality it's what happens when we realize just how small and powerless we are in relation to the powers around us. Now on the one hand, this kind of naked fear, it's healthy and necessary. It's right for me to be afraid of snakes because a snake can bite you and make you sick and even kill you. It's right to be afraid of heights because if you fall from a cliff you're probably going to die. If we weren't afraid of these things, if we were not aware of the dangers that they pose, then we would unknowingly put ourselves and others in harm's way. Naked fear is normal and necessary because we live in a fallen world. On the other hand, naked fear can lead to incredible folly. Notice what Adam and Eve did when they were afraid. They hid from God. They took matters into their own hands. They sought to take control in a world that was suddenly scary. And in doing so, they quite literally ran away from the one being who could keep them safe, God. Naked fear, on its own, it pulls us down a path that takes us away from God. But that's not the only kind of fear that we find in the Bible. There's another fear present in Genesis 3 and it takes us down a different path and that is the fear of God. Adam and Eve hid from God not just because they were afraid of a dangerous world but because they were afraid of Him. Adam and Eve were afraid of God because they had rebelled against Him. They were completely powerless to undo the effects of their sin and they were afraid of what God might do to them. But what did God do when he came down? He sought them out, questioned them, and punished them. The broken world that we inhabit, including our mortality, is a result of God's judgment on human sin. But he did not destroy them. Instead, he clothed them. Before God found them, Adam and Eve had sewn together rudimentary loincloths out of fig leaves in order to cover their sense of shame and combat their fear of exposure. But after their discovery, after God's pronouncement of judgment in chapter 3, and before their exile from the garden, this is what we read in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve feared God, but when God came to them, Instead of destroying them in anger, what did he do? He covered their shame and he spared their lives. They were right to fear God, but not to hide from him. They needed him. And when they came face to face with him, what they experienced was his tender, merciful love. The only way for us to inhabit this broken, dangerous world in which we live is to cultivate the right kind of fear. If we allow our naked fears to rule over us, we end up hiding from God. If we embrace the fear of God, on the other hand, and allow Him to rule over us, we take the very first step toward a life of wisdom. Now we see this connection between fear and wisdom again and again and again in Scripture. At the beginning of Proverbs, we read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Later, in the same book, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And then we read that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Psalm 111 tells us the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the wise king says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. But what exactly does the fear of the Lord mean? Is it simply terror... Is it merely fear of judgment? What does it mean to fear God in a way that leads to wisdom? Well, There's a famous scene, you probably know it, in C.S. Lewis's wonderful novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It helps capture what this means. The Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, are hiding from the White Witch in the home of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. They've heard of Aslan and of the rumor that he's on the move, the Lion King of Narnia, but they haven't met him. And so Susan asks the beavers, is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We fear God because he's king. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. We, on the other hand, we are weak, we are fallible, and we are mortal. We are always just one breath away from death. It's right for our knees to wobble in God's presence. But God isn't merely powerful. He's also good. And that changes the nature of our fear. Now some choose to describe the fear of the Lord as simply awe or reverence. And these words, they begin to get at how the fear of the Lord differs from the terror caused by our naked fears. But I worry that words like these have a tendency to domesticate the God of the universe. He's not simply awesome. He's terrifying to behold because he's all-powerful and holy other. But though he's terrifying, he's not terrible. He's good. He meets us in our naked fear, and he clothes us and gives us godly fear. Now, with all of this in mind, I want for us to turn briefly to our gospel message in Luke 4, as we begin to wrap things up. Luke 4, or Mark 4. This story of Jesus and the disciples caught in the storm, it gives us a powerful picture of fear. all of its facets. It's on page 839 and begins at verse 35. I'm just going to read it to you again. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. The disciples, they were terrified of the storm. They were overcome with naked fear. But after Jesus had calmed the wind and the waves with the word from his mouth, an even greater fear materialized, a godly fear. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? This is the moment in Mark's gospel when the disciples see Jesus clearly, I think, for the first time. They realize that he isn't just a great teacher, but that he commands the wind and the waves like God himself. And they're afraid. It's a different kind of fear from the terror that gripped them in the face of the storm. But but Mark describes it as fear, great fear nonetheless. Fear has to do with power. Fear comes from the awareness of our weakness and vulnerability and the recognition of power outside ourselves and beyond our control. Those things that we don't control have power over us, and so we fear them. But there's a greater power in the universe than even the combined power of all those things that we do not and cannot control. That power, the greatest power, is the God who made all things only he is truly powerful Now, fear can be directed toward powerful things that appear to threaten us or it can be directed to the one who is powerful over all things God fear can cause terror and lead to constant anxiety or it can open us to the true nature of reality under God's sovereign love and lead us to wisdom. Here's another way to think of it. Fear is the experience of being overwhelmed by external power. In the realm of our naked fear we perceive that power as a threat. And our response is to fight, to flee, or to freeze. And sometimes we have to fight or to flee because naked fear isn't all bad. Well, when we encounter God, we are similarly overwhelmed by His power, which is absolute. But as we experience His presence, we learn that His power isn't a threat to our existence. On the contrary, it's the source of our life and it's the expression of His love. God's power, which is greater than any other power under the sun, is not a threat, it's an invitation so let's go back to the disciples when they were terrified all of their attention was directed toward the storm they weren't paying attention to Jesus at least not truly when they looked at him all they saw was a sleeping man unaware of the dangers that they faced What they should have seen was the all-powerful God of the universe so unconcerned by the threat of the storm that He was taking a nap. Their naked fear, it blinded them to the presence of God. And it caused the threat of the storm to be magnified beyond all reason. Only after Jesus woke up, told the storm to be quiet, and sat back down to rub the sleep out of his eyes, did the disciples realize that they had feared the wrong thing all along. Jesus was so much more powerful than the storm. And when they saw that power in action, on their behalf, they slipped into stunned and fearful silence. But this time, their fear was godly, right, and pure. Now, we can fear the all-consuming darkness of whatever storm is on the horizon of our lives or we can fear the overpowering brightness of God. We can be overwhelmed by all of the threats to our safety, security, and the plans that we've made, or we can be overwhelmed by the power of God and allow that fear to disempower our naked fears. You see, godly fear puts all other fears in perspective and allows us to face them with a sense of confidence. The God of the universe is in the boat with us. And yes, he does care. Now, we've only scratched the surface. We've picked out one piece in the puzzle this week. There are more to come. But I want to ask you to do two things as we continue this work of puzzle making together this week. First, I want to encourage you to ask God to give you godly fear. This isn't something you can just conjure up on your own. Try to make yourself afraid. It just doesn't work that way. It is first and foremost a gift that comes when God makes himself known to us. And it is a gift that God longs to give us. So pray this simple prayer. Grant me godly fear, O Lord. Grant me godly fear, O Lord. Pray that prayer and sit there. Second thing I want to ask you to do is this. Try to shift your attention... From the storm to the God of the storm. From what threatens you on the horizon to Jesus who's right beside you. I shared with the guys in my Bible study this last week that I often think of my daily quiet time not so much, frankly, as a time to study the Bible, which I do, but as the place where I recalibrate my fears. And I do this by turning my attention away from the real and imagined threats that constantly bang at the door of my heart and my mind and toward the God who loves me, clothes me, and cares for me. In doing this, you know what happens? The power of God overwhelms every other power that seeks to overwhelm my soul. And I find rest and peace in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you teach us what it is to fear the Lord, to take the first step in a life of wisdom? This is a complex topic. Would you speak to us, teach us, and reveal yourself to us as we think and talk and pray about it in the weeks ahead? We pray this for the glory of your name and for our good, amen.